Hello and welcome to episode one of Wobadi. Wobadi. <laughs> Hi. Hi, I'm Srivatsan. Uh, I am a master student at Sciences Po, and I'm in Paris right now. And I'm Saketan. Um, I'm a well, I was a junior. Now I'm a rising senior, um, fourth year junior um, in Spanish and economics at Grinnell in Iowa. and we're brothers. Yes, we're brothers. Uh but we're also buddies and that's what I want to ask you about. Uh you came up with the name Wo Buddy at least for the podcast. How did mm-hmm. you decide to pick that as a name for the podcast? Um so the the exact way you said Wo Buddy um is kind of an indication of that, right? It's one of those things that um as brothers and we're only one and a half years apart for our listeners. Um we've just spent so much time getting to know each other and we have all of these um a lot of very intimate things that are um conclusively just ours um and so wobody is one of those things where we'll either discover something really cool and you'll say wobody or we'll be talking about something and you'll say wobody um and sometimes you'll just say wobody um but we connect over that and it's also the way in which you describe um our relationship i think in a very <laughs> quirky way that's very you yeah uh, i i agree with uh, with everything you've just said and i think what because we're not too far apart uh our relationship is not only filial but it's also um yeah like friends it's friends it's more than and <clears throat> it's you know we can look out for each other and we you know we can help each other out whenever uh the other person needs some help yeah. and that sort of brotherhood plus friendship mixed together i think is well expressed through the phrase wabadi <laughs> yep uh, i agree and we're doing a podcast for the first time um i i mean i've never done a podcast you've never done a podcast and you know it's pandemic season everyone's doing a podcast so we thought why the hell not and uh, i have thought about doing it before but it was difficult for me to find someone i think but also i wasn't sure what to talk about on a podcast but then i thought about many of the conversations we were having uh you know and so many of the interesting things that always come up in the conversations that we do have and how would yeah. be a good way to capture that but to also maybe work on creating something uh that could 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 last for a while and a podcast would be a good way to do that yeah also shout out to our father um we call him appa um he kind of gave us the idea on a family video call um obviously i think parents know you really well right and so that was also definitely part of it appa kind of um honing in on exactly what you said and saying you both should do this um as well as me in general being the kind of person who loves to take initiative um so i think this kind of collaboration worked out really well for the podcast yeah uh, i think the future is as bright as the skies are right now just kidding <laughs> there's actually a lot of clouds in today's skies it's a pretty cloudy day but yeah. <laughs> uh it's nice man there's uh, you can see some sun cuz we had some pretty bad weather last night yeah. it's raining crazy yeah, we had a storm go through iowa too um i think it was called cristobal which is a very interesting fact actually a tidbit is that the every year during storm season apparently the storms are named alphabetically so that you know which one it is so cristobal is the third one that's coming through so what happens after you reach the 26th storm of the year i don't know <laughs> is it like an excel where you go to a a a b a c maybe i don't know so you have arin it'd be hard to and, come up with names and then abbot <laughs> and then yeah. you have too many a's in the end of the year <laughs> uh, yeah yeah um so i mean this is because this is our first podcast we don't have a very complicated structure or too many ideas we thought that what would be simple and also interesting is um each one of us brings a topic of conversation to discuss and to get into that we'd been thinking about over the past week mm-hmm. or even for some time but just sort of came up into our mind and uh at the end of the show we'll also give a few a recommendation uh for the for the week uh it could be music could be a, a show it could be a movie uh it's sort of open ended in that sense uh and that's sort of going to be the format for for every episode every week yeah 
and now i'm going to ask the the question that i will use to prompt uh you to begin your topic of conversation what's up buddy uh i was thinking so i have a friend called hudson who was kind of staying um with us in this house for a little bit in the house that i'm staying um off campus from my college um and their name is hudson and so we were talking about i think generally childhood and that kind of stuff and obviously our childhoods our respective childhoods yours and mine are very closely linked and overlapping um so either there's a small gap in between when we did things but mostly we just did things um together and so one of the things that hudson and i were talking about was actually secrets of droon um and we started to bond over that oh my how... god he's read droon <laughs> yeah they have um and they did the same thing with their sisters uh in terms of collecting the books over time and that kind of thing and so it just it was very exciting to be talking about droon um and so i was thinking about it a little more and one of the things that um has you know with kung fu panda 2 we've had this relationship um where we really really enjoyed the movie together and to the point where our parents ended up putting a poster of po um in the superhero kicking the sky pose um on our wall and that was on our wall for a couple of years um it kind of triggered this thought of you know what what is the line between children and adults in terms of content that's made for children so what kind of content ages well um and what kind of content doesn't and so i started to think of shrek for example um it doesn't matter what age you are when you if you watch shrek you're going to get something out of it um but if you go back to maybe five find outers from enid blight and something like that it's harder to read i think in retrospect and so i wanted to talk about the concept of content that's made for children um but is also or at least marketed for children but is also so it, the stories that are so powerful that you know they can they they apply across um ages mm-hmm. i yeah i get i get what you mean uh, things that are targeted for a specific audience but have crossover appeal across ages i think there are probably two ways of looking at it there are those that the author of the the ob- object of of whatever art music uh intends to be consumed uh widely or by a specific audience and then there are those that don't intend it to be consumed by an audience outside of it but ends up uh being consumed by multiple people i'll give you two examples for this hmm. um So Shrek for example was clearly a movie that was groundbreaking because it was an animated movie which up to that point a lot of people had perceived to be a genre that was targeted at children but they had a lot of humor that was targeted at adults and that only adults would get some of the references and some of the humor it was difficult for children to understand and that way it was obvious that they had intended that this movie is for kids but also the parents were taking the kids to go sit them at the theater Mhm right the counter yeah. example of something that was made for kids but then had wide appeal across ages is harry potter i love taking harry potter as an example mm. the books yeah. specifically um yeah. there is this you know amazing joke uh rather you know stuart lee who is a comedian a british comedian who i really like he had this joke about how uh, a person would come up to him and be like wait how come you've not read the new harry potter book the new harry potter book is out how come you've not read it he's like <laughs> this book i'm a grown adult and it's a story for children it's a children's book series and i'm not going to read it right you can ask me anything you want about uh, i think it's the the works the collected works of william blake and i can tell you any of how <laughs> great those poems are and you know there is a level of i guess elitism that is part of his stand up but the main point that i got out of it was that he he broke into my mind a thought that i didn't realize was that harry potter was actually a children's book series that had yeah. that that adults have also enjoyed and again <laughs> one of the adults that i found was most odd for uh, to be enjoying was our own grandfather who oh my in god his, in his late 60s and 70s was enjoying the book and he did this weird thing i don't know if you remember of reading he the read series it front to back and back he would read it front. from the first to the seventh and then from the seventh back to the first so we read it front to back and then back to front <laughs> very very odd uh yeah. so so you know what i i think secrets of rune no, for example I, yeah i know what you mean and uh, yeah harry potter especially is such a great example 
because it almost kind of defies that the concept temporally it's a book you can grow up with um at least if you were following it as if you were following it serially as they were being released the content matures with the um reader mm-hmm. because she re- she i mean the first book came out in what 1999 something like that mm-hmm. and the last book came out in a uh, mid to late 2000 right uh, before 2010 and so you, the content it became it became very serious as it it stopped being a children's book after the third or fourth one in my opinion i agree i think that there was a lot of it started to get graphic and less uh funny that that that's definitely an element that changed i still remember very vividly a scene that was not depicted as well in the movie because half blood prince remains my favorite book uh, yeah. for many reasons i think half blood prince really was a better book even than deathly hallows one yeah. is because they made snape the de- uh, that uh what's it called the defense against the dark arts teacher something that he had been Finally. trying to do throughout yeah. the series and didn't and so there was an element of danger already uh there was also this and that sort of set the tone in a weird way because at the beginning of the book is when they go to find the new potions teacher i mm-hmm. cannot remember the character's name and the whole vibe of the book was just so Slug different what? it was so different and the specific scene that i when i realized it hit me that this is such a graphic scene is a scene where sectum sempra it's the spell that yeah there is a, an imaginary sword the way that the the scene is described is that there is an imaginary sword that then plunges through that person's stomach yeah and then it stays there and then they have blood just squirting out of them yeah that's not something that is meant for <laughs> kids i think that's that's pretty obvious <laughs> Mhm. But uh, I think that's Harry Potter sort of kicked off what is now very obviously known as the young adult fiction genre which you know right. things like um the Hunger Games or Rick Riordan's books also fit mm-hmm. into the same category. Artemis Fowl. Correct. But those yeah. books oddly enough uh didn't have the same thing. I remember trying to go back to read Artemis Fowl and realized how child childish the style of writing itself was it was difficult for me to read it after yeah. i had grown up yeah. and this is something i found even with secrets of drune and i should give context for people who aren't familiar with drune that it's it was a book that's really meant for for kids who are in elementary or middle school it wasn't meant for even teenagers because none of the characters are and none of the stories mm-hmm. are uh about yeah. it there is no dangerous things happening the sent- you could even look at the print of the book the letters are very large there are very few words on the page and it it's really it's meant for kids and there's nothing dangerous or yeah. taboo that's ever addressed or looked at in the book and there's illustrations there's kind of this cute see like middle school vibe yeah so I mean, it it's definitely pre pre pubescent there's nothing there's no romance angle at all that's ever there in that whole story yeah, that's true. something that makes it very pure but harry potter that obviously cuz they they they're teenagers that starts to evolve and change mhm yeah i think part of what makes uh, i mean i wonder cuz there might be a sort of paradox there is it because we grew up reading harry potter that we see it as the characters growing up with us because imagine if you were to read the whole harry potter books as a 21 year old in a week would you still get that same sense of oh i am growing up and the characters grew up with me and this is therefore a part of my childhood because i, I mean you like can't it is the part of you that's already read the book so no right yeah maybe it's already happened but i think i mean i think the more interesting thing is sure we know of adults who've read the harry potter right our parents read harry potter when they were already adult adults Yeah, I think the the true. inverse is more interesting because now the possibility exists of a 15 year old going through all the books. Mhm. And that like wh- what does that, you know, that's not after a point it ceases to be like when you read Sectum Sempra and that kind of stuff it ceases to be content for a for a child, maybe not a 15 year old, maybe a 13 year old or an 11 year old. Mhm. If they are able if their parents are like okay, this is a children's book, here, read this. Um, you know, we we've heard that it's a great children's book and this kid ends up reading all of these things um you know that that's just such a different thing and i think harry potter is kind of an exception in that it is a series and that kind of thing shrek on the other hand um and this was kind of one of the points that i wanted to go back to when you were discussing shrek 
what's very interesting about shrek is if you know enough about fairy tales and that kind of stuff and if you have been a child at some point in your life but are now an adult there are jokes for you hmm right because they they basically take fairy tales and they look at them in the context of the real world almost yeah they make they make things normal they make kind of the gingerbread guy go to a bar and stuff like that right and then they're like this is so ridiculous that's what's ridiculous about it is to take what you grew up with as a kid throw it into a real world context and be like this would this is just hilarious this is not this is funny mm-hmm. you know donkey trying to court the dragon it's yeah. funny yeah you the, know um mm-hmm. and mixing up mixing up across fairy tales and kind of pinocchio being used as kind of you know taking the mickey out of a a heist movie by using pinocchio's nose as the whatever you know thing to help somebody out as a tight rope to walk on stuff like that but on the other yeah, hand i think that's kid, the thing i think what trek did also was it used pop culture references not purely uh you know a realistic way of depicting the fairy tale world where all of these grim tales and characters come together but also pop culture references which only the adults would get as a child i didn't understand that that was supposed to be a mission impossible reference i only got the joke about oh they made pinocchio lie more and more and therefore right. his nose got longer in that scene where they're trying to to make yeah. them escape uh and similarly for example when pusan boots he does the thing with the sword and he does a p I mm-hmm. didn't understand that there is a meta joke here about Antonio Banderas voicing Banderas a character which is a parody of Zorro. Yeah. You know, yeah. so some of those things are just so funny you won't get them as a kid. Exactly. Yeah, and that's just I mean the there was I think there's a Bonnie and Clyde reference in there somewhere. Oh yeah. With the Humpty Dumpty stuff. I think that's in the Puss in Boots movie which is a mm-hmm. offshoot. Yeah. But there is a Bonnie and Clyde-ish a uh, vibe with two of the giants or something like that i vaguely remember it but there is just there are these um, jokes that are there for people who are adults mm-hmm. um and there's a whole different way of watching a movie and i think trying to construct a narrative in a two-fold manner like this it's kind of like those you know those uh, multicolor scales rulers that we used to have as kids mm-hmm. you tilt it one way and you see one image you tilt it the other way and you see a different image I yeah, yeah it's like that kind of thing um i i think it takes a lot of skill i i actually think that what <clears throat> what shrek did is open the the pandora's box for what makes things like adult swim uh comedy popular you know adult swim being the i'm not familiar the, with that adult swim basically is a network that has a lot of animated shows uh you know i think things like space coast coast to coast used to also be there but now you have things like rick and morty and and many other things but right. a lot of the humor and the thing is adult mm. uh and more importantly it's meant for for stoners it's stoner humor and it it would appeal to people who are high on on weed or on mushrooms or whatever uh the yeah. point is that it's subversive because you're taking the medium of animation or of cartoons which were traditionally for children but you're making them now also appeal because of their style and content to adults and you know you have mm-hmm. many other shows i think you know big mouth which is a show that yeah. i watched recently or even bojack horseman they do a similar thing where you're taking the animated style and and changing uh that to appeal to adult audiences though of course there are predecessors to that you have mm-hmm. you know things like the simpsons where you you take more more uh ambitious ways of looking at the world through a medium that is a cartoon or an animated show so i i don't think that they're trying to appeal to children at all i think that with shrek yeah they're taking children i think the reason mm. people assume that because it's an animated show we'll take our kids to it i Maybe. think people would have actually been shocked that they that they got more out of it than their kids did <laughs> yeah i i would i would actually venture to say that things like shrek were never intended for children just the content matters about fairy tales and yeah. the the fact that it was an animated movie confused people into believing that oh this is targeted for children mhm but yeah, i don't know no, what do you I, think, I of think that? that's a really good that's a really good take i think because there are still more contemporary animated movies where you can call out i think you can now look at a list of maybe the animated movies in the last 15 years and pick out movies where you can tell that the writer has gone in with which mindset right 
of whether it's your perspective on whether shrek was you know written for adults versus kind of a frozen for example or a tangled yep those are still those are still you know new takes on a an old narrative um but they're still made for kids Mm-hmm. Tangled would bore me and you know I'm glad I watched it when I did yeah. but it would bore me now Frozen I I mean I barely kind of got through um yeah the songs are good but it's okay Moana for example is different Moana is different in the sense that it does a similar thing to Shrek in some ways because it's more coming of age um kind of Kung Fu Panda class apart um and this is I think something we had talked about earlier in terms of the whole wisdom philosophical aspect of things mm-hmm. um with kung fu panda they really and maybe it has to do with what age the characters really are you know they're adults um with shifu and ukwe this whole aspect of wisdom there are political um elements involved that kind of thing even madagascar i don't i don't know how would you classify madagascar ah uh... Yeah, Madagascar I think is also it's interesting. That Madagascar is a bit difficult to categorize. Uh I think because of the actors performances and the way it it definitely seems like it's something that would appeal to adults as much as it would to children. Mhm. Though I still feel like it was made for children. That's the thing about Madagascar. Yeah. Uh yeah. but I I don't agree with uh what you were saying about Uh, so what was the thing you said before madagascar frozen tangled um kung fu panda kung yeah. fu panda wasn't i i've rewatched kung fu panda i mm-hmm. i think it's and i remember when i watched one of the first time i watched kung fu panda is when they taken us out on a school trip when i think i was in the 7th yeah, or 8th grade i remember that yeah so all of us sitting in the amphitheater uh, <laughs> you know in the cinema hall and watching it and it was crazy fun great experience but the thing is I think Kung Fu Panda is a kids movie. I don't think it's a movie that's for adults. I mm. think that it imparted very important lessons, you know, the kind of moral story kind of things fables uh have those in a sort of new format which a lot of uh, these stories do, you know. Most animated movies if you watch them when they're for kids or not, they have a very simple way of describing a a moral uh dilemma that then they resolve and they say okay this is the lesson that we want you kids to learn by the end of the movie sure imparting that kind of a and yeah. kung fu panda to me does it very straightforwardly mm-hmm. there is less uh depth or conflict in it and there's definitely very few things that as an adult i can watch that and feel like that these jokes are targeted for adults or are this is meant for an adult audience mhm yeah i i get it um i think going back to kind of the initial impetus of what got this conversation started though kung fu panda kind of fits a different bucket um maybe not necessarily content that was made for adults that looks like it's for kids but it's content that ages well i could still watch kung fu panda and get something out of it as an adult yeah yeah um and so that's maybe a different bucket that we're talking about mhm yeah um, i think things that age well are different from things that are meant for adults uh yeah I mean if I think about the first toy story or even the second toy story hmm those have both aged well as well as being for adults I for children yes they're not for children I mean I was you don't think they're for children have you watched the first toy story yeah man it's scary the whole thing about the first toy story is genuinely scary because of the sort of frankenstein toys that sid yeah, creates yeah. the scene when they come out from under the bed uh and i'm going to be honest with you a lot of it is very very difficult to understand as a child the whole thing of that's true that that's it's, definitely it's a little true. weird because buzz believes that he's still a toy and that he's not essentially yeah, being who's pretending mind. to be a toy whereas woody is an enlightened toy who knows that he is a toy but likes to pretend to be a toy anyway that's yeah, the whole metaness of it yeah that's a complicated complicated story and then i mean there the whole story moral that you're teaching is also difficult it's about don't be afraid that you'll be replaced or or that someone will take you away uh, it's about selfishness and about uh, being afraid that other people will replace who you are yeah um, that's what the whole story is about right because woody is worried that buzz is coming and therefore he no longer has value 
mm-hmm. and then you know yeah. he realizes in the end that no he does have value because andy still does want him um no i i i think toy story is too complicated you okay so maybe there's a different way of looking at this maybe you can watch it as a child and it's just colors and shapes and weird <laughs> yeah puppets and objects moving around and it's entertaining in a very uh animalistic sense where it's stuff just moving around and it's firing things in your brain but yeah. you don't get anything out of it in terms of the story so there's two layers there is the visual elements of it and then there's the story element of it and you won't actually understand the story until yeah. you're old enough to understand what's happening in the story yeah no this is this is blowing my mind right now i'm just processing um the fact that toy story really does make more sense i agree um it's just not something that i i think i would have considered until um we unpacked it this way mm-hmm. so yeah no definitely great great um i think a nice way to also conclude um my my p- portion of this conversation which um yeah no toy story is a great uh, one of those classics and we've touched on some really good animated movies i remember there were seasons um there were summers where you and i would just check off a list of animated movies by hitting the movie theater mm-hmm. um biking down to the so shout out to k star mall which is the mall where yeah. my brother and I have watched many uh, an animated movie that was a golden age of of animated <laughs> movies man cuz i mean yeah. now a lot of the movies are you know i'll hit or miss i don't know whether i've grown up or whether i they've now started to make them more targeted to children cuz they've realized that that's the way to make the money <laughs> mm-hmm. you get the parents to uh, get the children to nag the parents to take the pockets out the way that toys and merchandise and that that you know works Yeah. They made it more about how do we make toys out of these things and make the you know the money out of it rather than try and tell stories that are unique and mind blowing and take the the art form forward but I don't yeah. know maybe I'm asking too much from animated movies maybe wow I'm now thinking of over the hedge and I know we ended kind of oh, trying to end I'm thinking of but... surf up and what a what a <laughs> what a groundbreaking yeah. movie that was as a mockumentary movie that's just true, incredible true. I I I can yeah, watch yeah. it any day it's just it was so good and yeah. Shia LaBeouf and Jeff Bridges come on come <laughs> on man what oh, performances that, that in that movie that movie is great yeah yeah really good Over the Hedge too I think I mean it's one of those things where you can watch it as a kid but you don't get it until you're an adult it's such a such a powerful critique of suburbia in some ways um, <laughs> I know just like you know pest control that kind of stuff very very nice way of inverting that from the perspective of an animal yeah um but anyway um uh, this was this was lovely um so it's your turn to tell me what's up buddy uh i mean i decided to talk about something that's very personal uh as opposed to uh something that's more general but i think you mm-hmm. will have parts of this that you will definitely resonate with this is obviously uh, what i'm referring to is my um my passion for music and my my nerdiness yeah. uh around music um and how my consumption of music and those patterns have changed over time and especially with the internet Uh, yeah and if i may i think take the opportunity to contextualize at least my perspective on your relationship to music um so since we were kids our parents lived in the uk for some time and they had a lot of they, they just collected a lot of cd's and listened to a lot of music and that was kind of our we had this huge library of music growing up and uh one of the earliest things that srivatsan was really really good at would be identifying a song within a minute of it playing and then soon enough it became even before the vocalist start he would kind of catch on to it and that's kind of in some ways i think the defining anecdote of uh, his relationship to music over time and it's changed he um learned music classically um trained himself in the learning the piano um and then in high school he went through this uh kind of music consumption frenzy where he was consuming albums per week um new albums every week and that kind of stuff and so at this point he really is um uh, when he says his relationship with music it really is this comprehensive um understanding of music across genres that obviously needs 
um, can always expand, but it it is still impressive for I think a 22 year old, and that's just my perspective. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I <laughs> that's that's so good that you put that all into context because that's a great jumping off point for where I want to go to. The first thing obviously is our parents' music library. So the the first thing was it was all CD library and we used to put it into our computer and therefore into iTunes and then we had an <laughs> iPod and I believe if my memory serves me right the actual number of songs that we had in the iPod was 8,632 or 8,532 or something like that. It's one of those yeah. two numbers. And so that meant we had a very limited library and the ability to guess what the song was based on uh, the first couple of seconds was a specific skill that was only possible because of how much I had listened to the same music. So this is the main thing that I want to talk about. Before the internet, my music taste was deep in the sense that I would listen to the same albums over and over again. And that's how a lot of kids who grew up uh, in the in the you know 90s until the early 2000s consumed music. You bought, right. you bought a couple of albums or you got a couple of albums and then you just listened to them to death. Yeah, and you knew songs verbatim. I mean, yeah, you knew, just to go yeah, I, one I entire remember generation. When I, when I was obsessed with X and Y, Coldplay's third album. Oh, God, yeah. That was one entire summer. I remember it. it I, was, I think right after we moved to Mumbai. I remembered, yeah, correct. I had remembered the whole track list. That was one of the first albums that I remembered the track list in order. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that, but but this changed. So like you were saying, um, with the internet, I slowly started to expand beyond. One of the first things is obviously listening to Radiohead songs and albums aside from mm-hmm. KDA and Amnesiac, which we owned through YouTube. Yeah, uh, YouTube. And yep. then soon after I managed to uh, get to um, graduating from high school, I got myself uh, an iPhone. And then on the iPhone, I got access to the Apple Music library of music that they have and that just went crazy uh i just started listening but now this is a different kind of nerddom that i started to explore which is it's mm-hmm. more an obsessive width than it is a depth in the music that you listen to and it's very different and this is what i'm torn about the music that i listen to in width i don't listen to as deeply as i did in my childhood. I've listened to some of those Coldplay or Radiohead or John Mayer albums over and again. And some of those Billy Joel songs as well from the sort of compilation yeah. album that we have so many times on that iPod shuffle that I had. But yeah. I have not listened to a lot of the music that I found since uh, 2016 when I started to listen to music with the internet or, or with Apple Music uh, with the same number of times because there's just so much out there that I had to keep going and consuming. You know, mm-hmm. obviously this is a, a more general conversation about being overwhelmed by content in the age in which people are just producing so much all the time. And yes, the good thing is that I I like that I have critics who can help me uh, narrow my taste and guide me towards things that I like based on what I already like or what they deem to be good. And therefore I have a good way of investing my time because time is really what is the resource now not money anymore because most things right. are free yeah um that i know it's worth for me to invest it into this thing and therefore like it but i mm-hmm. miss that i miss being able to have a very limited library of music that i can get obsessively uh listen to and listen to only that and know it so well uh, yeah. And in fact, I've even tried to do this. I've tried to cut my music library off and say, you know what, I'm not going to add any more albums this week to my library. I'm not going to listen to all of these albums. I'm just going to pick a <laughs> few and listen to them. I tried that. Did not work at all. And that's because yeah. there's the flip side of being a music nerd, which is your biggest fear is you don't want to be stuck in a time of I stopped listening to new music after this year, which happens <laughs> yeah. to a lot of people. You know, I'm sure you have uh, parents or uh, older friends or older relatives or people that you know, and their music taste sort of just cuts off in a certain year. And that's mm-hmm. where they're like, you know, that was the golden age. That's my favorite music. That's the greatest stuff. And then they'll be sort of somewhat familiar with some newer artists who echo an older sound or yeah. some singles that they've heard on the radio. I don't right. want to become that person, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. there are two, there's, the balancing act is two, twofold. One is I want to be reaching into the future and into the past at the same time. 
and the second yeah. is i want to be going deep and wide in my music taste at the same time at the same time and it's yeah. so hard it's so it hard is, yeah it yeah is. no i i think in my perspective i think and this is the perspective of not being a music nerd but i think it is the perspective of being a musician um which is kind of it is different in, in a sense and i think that this is true of musicians we um we try to go wide until we find something we want to go deep on um hmm. and then we go deep so at least uh, and maybe I, it's unfair of me to generalize but this tends to be the case i was looking at i mean uh, tejas menon um an indian singer songwriter who i follow um and have been following for a couple of years now he just released a single and there was a rolling stones or some news article about his recommendations of music and those were kind of very specific artists that i've heard him mention in his lives and in his concerts and stuff time and again um and so that led me to believe that you know that w- what i do especially is you'll send me a couple of recommendations but generally over if i look at 3 months at a time of my life over the last couple of years there are albums that i can identify as having listened to multiple times and i i think the way in which i am consuming music tends to be i'll find something new i'll download the album listen to the album a bunch of times and then move on and so i think it's almost like a consumption satisfaction that i need to reach before i move on to again width mode and kind of breadth mode and look into new artists and new things and that kind of stuff but i'll still keep going back to the same set of things and now that now that i focus more on songwriting and my own musical style and that kind of thing now i start to identify things that i'm looking for i find that thing and then i listen for that so the next time i listen to the album i'm listening for that the third time i listen to it i listen for that and then i'm able to narrow down even more closely what are things i'm interested in an example is for example uh, samfa i have this album i have a playlist which has a bunch of albums in it that's called vox um and i have hop along and samfa for example in it um and these are albums that i just i'm inspired by vocal styles from so i listen for samfa's voice i listen for the things that he's doing and this is the same thing with hop along and so i tend to and i'm satisfied in doing that there is no um i think there is no uh, restlessness in me that's kind of like you're going to miss the boat with whatever new is out there which i think is what differentiates me from you in terms of the music nerd aspect i i i i see what you're saying and i i agree but the thing is i've had both so i'll give you an example the more recent examples were um over the summer of 2019 two of the albums that i listened to obsessively were tyler the creator's igor and uh dirty projectors uh bitter orca I listened to those albums so many times but I've also noticed that uh, there is a reason why I end up listening to it. there was another album I listened to in, towards the end in my first semester that I was doing here in 2019 uh by this band called Women um mm-hmm. I cannot remember the, the name uh the title of the album but I I'll get back to you with the title of the album soon the point is that I realized that um this desire for listening to new music is not always there in me i sort of hmm. fluctuate so sometimes i'm in a mental state and this sort of it reflects my own mental state when i'm feeling sure. i feel like i i'm kind of down or emotionally sort of in a weird place and then i just suddenly connect with an album and the album yeah. becomes so it gives me so much happiness and i it just i becomes an addictive mm. thing where i listen to that album just over and over again just to experience the dopamine hits that i'm getting out of that listening experience completely uh, relate yeah the album by women is public strain that was the album and yeah. um and i think part of my journey of wide expansion is like you're saying to find albums that suddenly click with me and then i just then obsess about Hmm. There is a good thing however so there are albums in the past that I've obsessed about I don't listen to as much today or as often but I remember those albums as being at a point in time those albums were great to me and then they will never not be great to me one example of hmm. this is obviously Jeff Rosenstock's Worry listen to it to death god and the great thing album. is it also helps me to explore wide because of the artists that he works with but also yeah. he released a new album this year uh 
and I oh, listened really? to it. Yeah, and this album is actually better than the album he released between Worry. Uh, so the album he released this year is called No Dream. Really great album. Uh, you know, emo pop punk. Uh, and his usual Damn, stuff. Let me get that. Yeah, he. You know, I think the best way to describe it is he is condensing all of the feelings of what it's like to be a young millennial in America. in terms mm. of all of the emotions and feelings that you have uh he does yeah. that very well it's political it's social it's personal uh, it de- delves into a lot of those topics uh that album's called no dream the one he dropped this year he did, he dropped one back in 2018 i think called post which i didn't like as much but this mm-hmm. one really brings back those memories of uh worry mm-hmm. and so i follow an artist once i've listened to some great albums the reason i delved so deep into igor is because flower boy gave me a similar experience you know so there are there are deep chains that i follow that help me explore more and but i it depends because sometimes i feel restless like you were saying that oh i'm not listening to enough new stuff <laughs> but i'm not able yeah. to find and i try doing that but i'm not able to find new music that i like and i just find myself dissatisfied because i need to follow my mood and if i follow my mood yeah. sometimes i just have to go back to old albums that i've always loved and listen to them again um one yeah. of you know one of which is like uh arts album uh mm. um man i cannot remember the name of the album um give me a second oh yeah sun coming down sun coming down for example an album that i go back to again and again it's it's very related to your mood and how you connect to something and then i go really really deep into that album um how and that's on. interesting yeah. because i have a i mean a, a question this because this just seems like a very humane kind of real thing that everyone must go through if they're consuming i mean this can kind of be generalized to consumption of anything at the scale and rate at which you're doing it right um even kind of consuming books at that kind of speed um can be can be and at least or academia you know going to college is similar except it's not music it's academia at least in the way that you consume music you're very intentional about it mm-hmm. when you're listening to music you're listening to it um i wonder how someone like anthony fantano who is a music critic who runs this channel called the needle drop that srivatsan has been following for what two years now since um, 2015 4 years. years now oh four years now so Almost, i mean yeah. i wonder if he goes through that and because it's his job to be consuming so much music how he deals with the the this kind of these ebbs and lows of the the process of consuming music um at such a fast rate i think he's already re- so someone who's doing that professionally they've reckoned themselves with the fact that maybe some albums just won't click with them because they're not emotionally feeling it that way so they mm-hmm. just listen to new music anyway but the good thing is that when they do listen to new music reviewers often listen to them multiple times ah so they'll make sure that they get enough listens so that they have the opportunity to connect with it and to deal with it and i mean this is another thing that i was thinking about which is there is so there's like an abundance and a flooding of content which means that people can't always uh dedicate that much time to a new thing that's out there and often the most people will listen to something is once or twice and mm-hmm. that's very detrimental to artists who are committed to putting so much into something uh so to artists who are conceptual with their albums or to artists who are experimental with their music and doing something left field yeah. and pushing the envelope the chance that they will get the appreciation by casual listeners is limited mm um uh, an example is uh, uh, this this uh, rap artist called ka um he has done many uh, different albums that are each based on a certain concept and then he draws analogies with his life uh, growing up uh, as an african american in the hoods uh, and you know this this violence and then there's crime and there's drugs and there's all of these things that are around him yeah. but with this weird concept as part of his uh, lyrical um illusions and allegory basically uh, the mm-hmm. most recent one is uh, biblical it sort of deals with uh, the story of uh, Cain and Abel the previous one oh. he'd done was about orpheus and the sirens the greek mythology uh, huh. he's done one also about uh, samurais and he's done a previous one about chess Damn. so <laughs> but the thing is the amount 
you can't understand what he's talking about in his lyrics and the the, the listen, analogies yeah. that he's making in the first time around and i yeah. the, if you just listen to it once it'll go over your head and you'll probably never come back to it or even appreciate it hmm and and that's something even true of more experimental music uh take someone like like glen branca who does no wave and just really weird music you know back in the 80s and stuff if you mm-hmm. were to listen to him as a casual listener and you just didn't like it and you turned it off which is what actually happened to me a couple of times when i started to listen to guys like him i had to listen to his albums multiple times sometimes even force myself to listen to those albums multiple times before it clicked and it hit me and it was like i get it now mm-hmm. uh so so part of the process is also maybe forcing yourself to get through an experience until you begin to like it which is something i've i've done wow multiple times as well yeah there are definitely i think songs like that that will grow on you over time um i i definitely had that experience i think there was on there was a bruno mars i think the bruno mars album um i forgot what it was i think 24 karat magic is what it's called that's the song at least that's in the album i listened to that album twice and i didn't like it and then the third time just something clicked and mm-hmm. i was like i'm with it now yeah and i think this is now i want to sort of tie the whole thing together where um wide nerdum versus deep nerdum it's very very different things it's things that i have to battle with things in the people who are nerdy about new things that are coming out all the time versus people who are nerdy about very old things cuz you listen to music that's coming out right now versus music that is back in the 60s it's sure. it's all nerdum but in very very different ways that's one mm-hmm. and two um depth versus width is also a very complicated thing and uh you, you know the thing that you just described you you cannot learn to really appreciate something until you've tried to appreciate it and the one thing yeah. that i can say after all of my journey with music nerdum is any music is enjoyable as long as you have an open mind and you give it enough tries yeah it's interesting i think our podcast is obviously if we continue with the the deep versus wide thing right we're we're going wide with this podcast um and so hopefully our listeners will choose to want to appreciate it and listen give it a listen um i mean if they've listened this far they definitely have or or deep because they might like to just like listening to what we're talking about over and over again because the conversation was interesting <laughs> who knows it's hope so you can never predict that um yeah i think we can sort of conclude our conversation around music nerdum and also uh just you know consumption of of uh, of art and in the digital age of the we live in of of too much um yeah uh with that uh let's get into recommendations do you have any recommendations yeah um uh, so what i picked was a movie that i watched two days ago that i should have watched a long time ago is uh wes anderson's moonrise kingdom oh i um, i have that on my list just, i have not watched it it is it is just i mean it is very wes anderson and i was kind of discussing this with des who i was watching it with um and it it's just like he shoots in a way that's so abrupt that even though his uh, every you know frame is so detailed you don't have time to process it unless you pause the damn thing yeah every um, every is frame is a painting yeah which is such an interesting mind game that he kind of plays with um the viewers with but i think what's more compelling for me and i'll try to say this without spoiling a lot is just how he captures the innocence and purity of um of just you know young love um and and some of the really random things that can come in the way of it um that was i was just a very compelling compelling story and just he he's very funny the humor is i think uh it's just an additional spice that gets added to the movie so i really enjoyed that oh that's great i'll definitely check that out cuz it's one of the few ones i haven't watched of his um my recommendation is an album from earlier this year cuz you know it's mid year now you start to go back to the albums that have released up to the midpoint you know this year has been crazy so far but there's been a lot mm-hmm. of new music so i went back and i listened to this album um called purple moonlight pages by an artist called rap ferrera and it has this group called jefferson park boys who are doing the the jazz and other musical instrumentation on it 
uh, I think they're mm-hmm. live musicians. Um, great, great jazz rap project. Absolutely loved it. Um, Rap Ferreira's rapping style is interesting because he does both sort of spoken word esque, you know, think no name kind of thing, and yeah. sometimes he does a more traditional rapping kind of uh, style. And it's it's great to have both of those things contrasted across the whole album. What I like so much about it is that is his content, and there is the broad um you know idea across the album is that he addresses what it means to be an artist uh you know that sometimes it's not rewarding you might not get money and fame but you do it anyway uh and the the joy and love that he has for music and for hip hop and uh it was just mm-hmm. it was just great to to hear that album and him love being an artist and talking about what it is for to be an artist what your duty is what your role is in society yeah. and all of those things was really fantastic. Uh yeah. my favorite songs that I want to shout out on that project are Laundry and Cycles. <laughs> Laundry Cycles. Exactly. I know that but, reminds me. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, if you like jazz rap and you like some interesting lyric lyricism, definitely check that out. Nice. Well, uh I guess that was a good wrap for our first podcast uh episode. Um do you have any ending quotes comments uh anything to end with three i don't have anything to end with except <laughs> all right well thank you all for listening um we'll see you soon yep see you soon